This is Gynecologic Healthcare, Chapter 13, Segment 3. This is Non-Hormonal Methods, and it starts on page 252 of Chapter 13. Non-hormonal contraceptive methods can be grouped into three general categories. Physiologic methods, which is abstinence, coitus interruptus, lactational amenorrhea, in parentheses breastfeeding, and fertility awareness-based methods. Then barrier methods, which are male condoms, vaginal barrier methods, and spermicides. And three, permanent contraception or sterilization, either male or female. One additional contraceptive method that does not contain hormones, the copper IUD, is discussed in this section on intrauterine contraception. The physiologic and barrier and non-hormonal contraceptive options, which are reversible, generally require motivated users, and most of these methods necessitate taking action with every act of sexual intercourse. In general, their effect Efficacy is less than that of hormonal methods, but these options do not have systemic side effects. In addition, many barrier methods do not require clinician involvement. Non-hormonal methods may also be chosen because they fit within the woman's cultural beliefs. The permanent contraceptive options, male and female sterilization, are the only permanent forms of contraception and require certainty that future childbearing is not desired. Information about permanent contraception is presented in a separate section earlier in this chapter. Physiologic methods, avoiding vaginal contact with semen or abstinence. Abstinence has historically been centered around the moral and ethical concerns of sexual activity, not the scientific properties of the contraceptive method. People choose to abstain from all or certain types of sexual activity for many different reasons, and their choices should be respected. Abstinence can be important to a person's faith or personal journey, and what abstinence means for each individual varies. Unfortunately, the varying definitions of abstinence could leave a patient at risk for pregnancy if they do not receive effective counseling. Many types of sexual engagement and arousal, for example, kissing, petting, rubbing, female to female sexual activity, male to male sexual activity, do not result in semen ejaculation near a vagina and thus effectively avoid pregnancy. However, ejaculation near the vaginal introitus without intercourse, which some may consider abstinence, can lead to pregnancy. This is why it is important to be explicit about asking what abstinence means to each person who uses this method and educating them on how to avoid pregnancy. Clinicians should teach patients that the actual cause of contraception with abstinence is abstinence of semen near the vaginal introitus, not the absence of any sexual activity. Efficacy and effectiveness. Avoiding vaginal contact with semen is 100% effective at preventing pregnancy. The effectiveness of this method for preventing STI transmission depends on what type of sexual contact the patient engages in. For example, individuals who avoid vaginal contact with semen but have oral sex are at risk for STI transmission. Safety and side effects. There are no safety considerations or side effects of this method. Non-contraceptive benefits. There are no non-contraceptive benefits of abstinence. Advantages and disadvantages. Avoiding vaginal contact with semen is readily available and completely effective. It can prevent certain STIs, including HIV infection, via penile vaginal transmission, 
but patients must be cautioned to avoid other sexual practices, for example, oral sex and anal sex, that put them at risk for STIs. The major disadvantage of abstinence is that it is unrealistic for most couples in long-term relationships to completely avoid vaginal contact with semen for an extended period of time. Moving on to coitus interruptus. Coitus interruptus, also known as withdrawal, is the removal of the penis from the vagina prior to ejaculation. Coitus interruptus prevents pregnancy by keeping sperm from entering the vagina. Although only 3% of women in the United States employ coitus interruptus as their primary contraception method, 60% of women report having used withdrawal at some time in their lives. Efficacy and effectiveness. The theoretical efficacy of coitus interruptus is high, but the estimated typical failure rate is about 22%, meaning that 88% of people will manage, I'm sorry, 78% of people will manage to avoid pregnancy in a year. The long-held belief that pre-ejaculatory fluid contains sperm, which could theoretically cause pregnancy even if withdrawal were used correctly, has been subjected to small clinical studies with conflicting results. Safety and side effects. There are no contraindications to or side effects from using coitus interruptus. Non-contraceptive benefits. There are no non-contraceptive benefits of coitus interruptus. Advantages and disadvantages. Coitus interruptus is readily available, requires no supplies or cost, and is user-controlled. Couples can use coitus interruptus intermittently when other methods are unavailable. Disadvantages include the need to use this method with every act of intercourse and the need to exert the self-discipline and control necessary to stop intercourse. Coitus interruptus does not prevent STI transmission because penile vaginal contact occurs and HIV and other STIs can be present in pre-ejaculatory fluid. Women who use coitus interruptus should be educated about emergency contraception as a backup method. Moving on to lactational amenorrhea method. Infant suckling during breastfeeding increases maternal prolactin levels, which in turn inhibits ovulation. This is the physiologic basis of lactational amenorrhea method, or LAM. Three conditions must be met for LAM to be effective. One, exclusive or near-exclusive breastfeeding. Two, amenorrhea, no vaginal bleeding after 56 days postpartum. And three, infant younger than six months. Breastfeeding education and support are beneficial for women using LAM. Efficacy and effectiveness. Breastfeeding is an extremely effective method of contraception if the conditions for its use are met. Failures typically occur when breastfeeding is non-exclusive or after the infant reaches six months of age. In these instances, the likelihood of ovulation increases and the woman may be unaware of her return to fertility. Safety and side effects. There are no contraindications to LAM, but breastfeeding is not recommended for women who are HIV positive in countries such as the United States where infant formula is accessible or for women who are taking medications that could be harmful to the infant. The only side effects of LAM are those associated with breastfeeding, such as sore nipples and mastitis. Non-contraceptive benefits. Women who breastfeed their infants have a decreased risk of ovarian, endometrial, and breast cancers. Breastfeeding also has numerous benefits for infant, child, and lifelong health. Advantages and disadvantages. 
Lamb is readily available, free, and can be used immediately postpartum. The disadvantages of lamb are that it is available only to women who are breastfeeding. Its, durations of its duration of use is limited, and women may have difficulty sustaining the patterns of breastfeeding required to maintain contraceptive effectiveness. In addition, lamb does not provide protection from STIs. Fertility awareness-based methods. These involve determining when a woman is most fertile during each month and using either abstinence or barrier contraception during that time to prevent pregnancy. The fertile window or time when intercourse is most likely to result in pregnancy occurs five days before plus the day of ovulation. Fertility awareness-based methods are also referred to as natural family planning and the rhythm method. Among women in the United States who use contraception, 1% use these methods. The fertile window can be identified with calendar methods or by using signs and symptoms of ovulation. Calendar methods require counting the days in the menstrual cycle. For the calendar method, the woman records the length of six to 12 menstrual cycles and determines the longest and shortest cycles. She then uses that information to identify the first days in the shortest cycle, minus 18, and the last days in the longest cycle, minus 11, fertile days each month. The calculations must be updated with each cycle. Because this method requires careful calculations that can be confusing, the standard days method was developed as a simpler calendar method. Women using the standard days method are advised to use abstinence or a barrier contraceptive on days 8 to 19 of the menstrual cycle. A color-coded set of beads called cycle beads can be used in conjunction with the standard days method to help women keep track of their fertile window. The standard days method is recommended for women whose cycles are 26 to 32 days in length. There are also apps that can be used to track cycles for this method, including the Dot Fertility app, which has been evaluated in a clinical trial, and the Natural Cycles app, which has been, perm been permitted by the FDA to be marketed as a method of contraception. The post-ovulation method is another variation on the calendar method. With this method, the woman subtracts 14 days from her average cycle length to predict the day of ovulation. Abstinence or a barrier method is used during the first half of the cycle until the fourth morning after the predicted day of ovulation. This method requires the longest period of abstinence or use of additional contraception. Signs and symptoms of ovulation include a rise in the basal body temperature and changes in cervical mucus. Using basal body temperature charting in conjunction with the post-ovulation observations is beneficial, but predicting the fertile period with basal body temperature is difficult because ovulation occurs when the rise in temperature is observed and it remains elevated for the rest of the cycle. The Billings ovulation method assesses cervical mucus to determine the fertile window. Women check daily for the increased clear, stretchy, slippery cervical secretions associated with ovulation. The fertile time lasts from the day when ovulatory cervical secretions are first observed until four days after they are last observed. The two-day method is a simplified version of the ovulation method. The woman checks daily for cervical secretions and is considered fertile any day that she has cervical secretions present 
or had them present the day before. The symptothermal method involves observing multiple indicators of the fertile window. The most common combination is the assessment of cervical mucus and daily basal body temperature charting. The cervical secretions can be used to identify the beginning of the fertile window and the basal body temperature can be used to detect the end. Some women using the symptothermal method also assess cervical position and signs of ovulation. For example, Mittelschmerz. Home ovulation tests originally used for women with infertility can be used in conjunction with the calendar, ovulation, or symptothermal methods to improve their effectiveness. The detailed information required for patient education about these family planning methods is beyond the scope of this chapter. Readers are referred to the websites listed in Box 13.2 for further information, including training courses for clinicians. Efficacy and effectiveness. The theoretical efficacy of these methods varies according to the specific technique used. The typical reuse failure rate reflects the difficulty of using these methods correctly and consistently. A systematic review concluded that the comparative efficacy of these methods remains unknown. Researchers at the Institute for Reproductive Health demonstrated typical use effectiveness rates of 88% and 86% for the standard days method and the two-day method, respectively. And they have developed extensive resources for teaching these methods to providers, community health workers, and women. The DOT Fertility app has a typical use effectiveness rate of 95% for women aged 18 to 39 years. Safety and side effects. There are no health concerns with the use of these family planning methods, but certain circumstances or conditions complicate their use. These factors include the postpartum period, breastfeeding, having an abortion immediately before use, recent menarche or perimenopause when cycles may be irregular, medications that alter the regularity of cycles or fertility signs, vaginal discharge, irregular vaginal bleeding, and conditions associated with elevated body temperature. There are no side effects of these methods. Non-contraceptive benefits. The principles of family planning, these family planning methods can also be used to conceive when pregnancy is desired, advantages and disadvantages. Women may have to pay for training or supplies, but there's no ongoing cost unless a barrier contraceptive is used during the fertile window. These methods are user controlled and may be the only acceptable form of contraception for members of some religious and from some religions and cultures. Disadvantages include the need for detailed education, ongoing attention to identifying the fertile window, and abstaining from intercourse or using an additional contraceptive method several days each month. They do not protect either partner from STIs and users should be educated about emergency contraception. Moving on to barrier methods. All barrier methods must be applied at or near the time of intercourse, before penile penetration and ideally before any genital contact to avoid disruption in sex play. This requirement may be a problem for some couples due to the need to plan ahead. Or for others who find the application of a barrier disruptive, couples can be taught to apply or insert the barrier as part of their sex play the coitus-dependent nature of barrier methods may be an advantage for couples who have infrequent intercourse. 
Although these methods are less effective in preventing pregnancy than contemporary hormonal or intrauterine methods, interest in barrier contraception is on the rise again. This trend partly reflects the hormone-free aspects of barrier methods, but it largely indicates recognition of a barrier's potential role as dual protection against pregnancy and STIs, including HIV. The cervix is the point of entry for many sexually transmitted pathogens. Protecting the cervix via chemical or physical barriers is an expanding area of research in the prevention of STIs. Finally, barrier contraceptives can be used by most people because contraindications for their use are rare. Male condoms. The male condom is a thin sheath that is placed over the erect penis. It serves as a barrier to pregnancy by trapping seminal fluid and sperm and offers protection against STIs. In fact, early descriptions of condom use in the 1500s emphasized the condom's role in protection from syphilis and other diseases. Latex condoms are manufactured and packaged with a rolled rim that is designed to be applied to the tip of the penis and then rolled down over the erect penis. It is important to note that there is a right side and a wrong side when the condom is rolled up. Applying the condom with the wrong side out will prevent it from being placed properly and will potentially contaminate the outside of the condom with seminal fluid. Over the years, minor design changes to this rolled rim construction as have included enlarged tips to contain ejaculated fluid and introduced various colors, sizes, flavors, and textured surfaces that are purported to enhance sexual pleasure. Some condoms add lubricants as well, including spermicidal lubricants. Non-latex condoms were developed in response to several concerns about latex. These condoms are made of polyurethane or latex-like material called styrene, ethylene, butylene, styrene. Non-latex condoms are odorless, colorless, and non-allergenic. They transmit body heat better and have a looser fit, theoretically allowing more sensitivity. They can be used with any lubricant and do not usually deteriorate with the use of oil-based lubricants or under adverse storage conditions. Non-latex condoms appear to have twice the odds of breakage or slippage during intercourse or withdrawal compared to latex condoms. Many users prefer non-latex over latex condoms. These preferences may translate to more consistent use. Consistent use and consumer familiarity with and education about non-latex condoms may reduce the higher rates of breakage and slippage that have been reported in studies. Efficacy and effectiveness. When used correctly and consistently, latex condoms are an effective form of contraception. Condom failures are commonly related to breakage of the condom, slippage during intercourse, or while removing the condom. In general, pregnancy rates for non-latex condoms are slightly higher than the corresponding rates for latex condoms, but it is within the range considered acceptable for barrier methods. As noted, non-latex condoms have higher reported rates of breakage and slippage than latex condoms. It is unclear whether this difference is related to the product or to a lack of familiarity with the product. Safety and side effects. Latex condoms should not be used by persons with known latex allergies. Some women report general genital irritation and discomfort from the use of condoms, an issue that may be related either to the condom or to the concomitant lubricant use. 
Some condoms are lubricated with a spermicide, nonoxanol 9, that may produce genital irritation in some women. One study of a polyurethane condom evaluated genital irritation in both men and women. Although no differences were observed among the men, in each group, the female partners in the polyurethane group had significantly less genital pain, paritis, and vaginal pain than their counterparts in the latex condom group. Non-contraceptive benefits. Condoms are routinely recommended for their non-contraceptive benefit of protection from STIs. Consistent use of latex condoms in sexually active HIV serodiscordant couples reduces the incidence of HIV infection by more than 70%. Condoms also offer statistically significant protection against gonorrhea, chlamydia, herpes simplex virus type 2, and syphilis, and they may protect women from trichomoniasis. Although condoms do not appear to offer protection against HPV infection, their use is associated with higher rates of cervical intraepithelial neoplasia regression and cervical HPV infection clearance. <coughs> Excuse me. Advantages and disadvantages. Condoms have the advantage of being widely available on an over-the-counter basis without the need for a clinician visit or prescription. Non-latex condoms tend to be more expensive than their latex counterparts. The effectiveness of condoms is coitus dependent. Correct use is critical to prevent breakage, slippage, and resultant in intended pregnancy. A potential disadvantage of using condoms as a contraceptive method is that they are male controlled. Women who are in relationships in which they cannot negotiate condom use with their partners need a method they can control. Moving on to spermicides. Spermicides are chemical barriers that are used either alone or in conjunction with a physical barrier such as a condom, diaphragm, or sponge to prevent pregnancy. The most common spermicides currently marketed in the United States contain nanoxanol 9 or N9, which may be formulated as a gel, cream, foam, or suppository. Foaming tablet or film. It is generally provided in 50 to 150 milligram dosages. Other spermicidal compounds are available in other countries, such as octoxanol, octoxanol 9, benzalconium chloride, and menjifol, menfajol. Fewer than 0.5% of women report using spermicides as their primary method of contraception. Efficacy and effectiveness. Studies comparing N9 in various formulations, vaginal contraceptive film, foaming tablets, suppositories, and gels, each used without condoms or other physical barriers, showed pregnancy rates with typical use over six months in the 10 to 15% range, with some results as high as 28%. These rates are higher than those for other barrier contraceptives. Formulations containing at least 100 milligrams of N9 are associated with lower unintended pregnancy rates, although the effectiveness of spermicides used as a sole agent is less than of other contraceptive methods. Spermicide use is more effective than using no method at all. Safety and side effects. N9 is a surfactant, and surfactants can disrupt cell membranes. By extension, it was envisioned that the surfactant in this product would also act pathogenic 
would also act against pathogenic organisms and protect the user against gonorrhea, chlamydia, herpes, and syphilis. Studies from the late 1980s suggested that N9 could inactivate HIV and other STIs. However, most, more recent studies have shown that N9 is an irritant to both animal and human tissue. Frequent use is associated with increased reports of vaginal irritation. As an irritant, N9 has the potential to disrupt or damage epithelial tissue in both the vagina and the rectum. The risk of this disruption increases with frequency of use and dose. Because intact tissue is the first defense against infection, use of N9 could increase the risk of infection transmission by causing microabrasions in the epithelium. In addition, strong evidence indicates that N9 does not reduce STIs among sex workers or women attending STI clinics. In fact, some research suggests that N9 use can even increase the risk of HIV acquisition in high-risk women. Recommendations for the use of N9 were developed in 2001 by a World Health Organization task force and reiterated in a 2006 report called Sexual and Reproductive Health of Women Living with HIV AIDS. N9 should not be used for purposes of STI protection. N9 should not be used by women who engaged in multiple daily acts of intercourse. N9 should not be used by women at high risk for HIV acquisition. N9 should not be used rectally. Condoms should not be lubricated with N9, but condoms lubricated with N9 are more effective than not using condoms. The U.S. medical eligibility criteria for contraceptive use classifies spermicides as a Category 4 method for women at high risk for HIV infection and as Category 3 methods for women with HIV AIDS. For women at low risk of HIV acquisition, however, N9 products can be a valid contraceptive option. In women who use N9 for contraception, the likelihood of developing genital urinary symptoms after 6 to 7 months of use is 13 to 17% for a yeast infection, 8 to 12% for bacterial vaginosis, 19 to 27% for vulvovaginal irritation, and 11 to 15% for urinary tract symptoms, but only 3 to 6% for your culture proven urinary tract infection. The likelihood of irritation and other genital urinary symptoms in the male partner ranges from 6 to 14% after six to seven months of use. In the study that produced these findings, there were no comparison group to indicate whether these rates are higher than, lower than, or the same as the rates in the general population of sexually active women using contraception. However, the reported rates are high enough to warrant counseling women to report symptoms so they can be evaluated, diagnosed, and properly treated. Non-contraceptive benefits. Despite concerns about the potential for cervical vaginal epithelial disruption with N9-based spermicides, vaginally applied chemical barriers remain appealing. This attraction stems largely from their potential to provide dual protection. They can be both spermicidal and microbicidal. Women-controlled, vaginally applied, lubricating micro microbicides offer great potential for protection against STIs, including HIV. Microbicide development and clinical trials are ongoing. 
advantages and disadvantages. Spermicides containing N9 are widely available as over-the-counter products and do not require a prescription or clinician visit. Thus, they are readily accessible to women who need personally controlled, discreet, low-cost contraception. The effectiveness of spermicides is coitus-dependent. Disadvantages include low contraceptive effectiveness and the potential for symptoms of cervical-vaginal irritation. As noted earlier, women who engage in multiple daily acts of intercourse or who are at high risk for STIs should avoid using spermicides containing N9. Moving on to diaphragms. The contraceptive diaphragm is a shallow, dome-shaped cup that is inserted in the vagina to cover the cervix. Currently, less than 1% of women in the United States using contraception use the diaphragm. Contraceptive diaphragms typically have to be fitted with a bimanual exam and prescribed by a healthcare provider. There is a newer, single-size, non-latex diaphragm, Kaya, that does not require fitting by a healthcare provider, but it does require a prescription. Efficacy and effectiveness. The contraceptive efficacy of the diaphragm is similar to that of the male condom. Traditional diaphragms are designed to be used in conjunction with a spermicide. The only study comparing differences in the contraceptive effectiveness of a traditional diaphragm depending on whether spermicide is used was underpowered and therefore could not reach firm conclusions. The single-size diaphragm Kaya has been shown to be as effective as a standard diaphragm when used with N9 contraceptive gel. Contragel, which is used in Europe and other countries, is a personal lubricant that contains lactic acid and is used with barrier devices. A phase one randomized, randomized trial demonstrated that Contragel and N9 showed similar effectiveness in preventing motile sperm from reaching mid-cycle cervical mucus. During sexual excitement, the upper part of the vagina expands, thus diaphragms and other devices that might be in contact with the vaginal walls during fitting may no longer provide a complete physical barrier to sperm migration during intercourse. Theoretically, an additional and important function of the diaphragm would be to maintain spermicide contact with the cervical os, thereby ensuring that sperm are trapped by the chemical barrier. Safety and side effects. The spermicide side effects discussed earlier in this chapter may also be experienced by diaphragm users. The diaphragms available in the United States as of this writing are made of silicone and can be used by women with latex allergies. Water-based products rather than those containing silicone are recommended for women who wish to use a lubricant with silicone diaphragms. Irritation or even abrasions of the vaginal mucosa have been noted in women with improperly sized diaphragms or prolonged retention of the diaphragm in the vagina. Although no clear association with toxic, toxic shock syndrome has been demonstrated, diaphragms and other contraceptive barrier devices should not be left in the vagina for more than 24 hours and their use during menses is discouraged. Urinary tract infections are more common in diaphragm users than among women using hormonal contraceptives. Two factors may explain this phenomenon. One is the rim of the diaphragm may exert pressure against the urethra, which might be perceived as frequency, dysuria, or incomplete bladder emptying, and may lead to infection. And two, the spermicides used with the diaphragm can alter normal vaginal flora and may increase the likelihood of E. coli bacteriuria. Non-contraceptive benefits. The diaphragm has possible or theoretical value in protecting the cervical, 
from infection, but data demonstrating such a perfective effect is not currently available. The only barrier methods known to reduce STIs are male and female condoms. Advantages and disadvantages. Both available diaphragms require prescriptions. Diaphragms are user-controlled, non-hormonal contraceptive methods that are needed only at the time of intercourse. One of the diaphragms currently available in the United States comes in multiple sizes with various diameters. This device must be fit by a clinician, while the single-size diaphragm does not require clinician fitting. As a result of the need for a clinician visit, diaphragms have a higher initiation cost than condoms, but they can be used for years with proper care. The only additional cost is the spermicide that must be used with the diaphragm. Diaphragms are washable and reusable. Proper use is important. Users should be counseled on the timing of insertion and removal, use of spermicide or other contraceptive gel, appropriate care of the device, and need for specific reevaluation of size. Cervical caps. Cervical caps are cup-like devices that cover the cervix. Smaller than diaphragms, they maintain their position over the cervix by suction, adhering to the cervix, or via a design that uses vaginal walls for support. Caps were long popular in Europe, where several types were available. However, most of these are no longer being manufactured. The fem cap is the only cervical cap available in the United States. The fem cap is made of silicone and has a design like an in inverted sailor's cap. The dome covers the cervix and the longer side of the brim fits into the back of the vagina. Three sizes are available and the selection is determined by pregnancy and birth history. The 22 centimeter fem cap is for women who have never been pregnant. The 26 centimeter fem cap is for women who've had a miscarriage, abortion, or cesarean birth. And the 30 centimeter fem cap is for women who've had a vaginal birth. The femcap can be worn for as long as 48 hours, but as with all vaginal devices, should not be used during menses. The device is designed to be used with a thin layer of spermicide around the outer brim. Efficacy and effectiveness. The femcap was not as effective in preventing pregnancy as a traditional diaphragm in clinical studies. The extrapolated annual failure rates slightly exceed 20%. Cervical caps may be less effective in women who have had children than in those who have not. Safety and side effects. In a randomized trial comparing femcap to the traditional diaphragm, femcap users had significantly lower urinary tract infections, 7.5%, than those in the diaphragm group, 12.4%. In the same study, there were no differences in vaginitis, irritation, dysmenorrhea, or pap test changes between the groups. Non-contraceptive benefits. The cervical cap has possible or theoretical value in protecting the cervix from infection, but there are no known data to support this benefit. The only barrier methods known to reduce STIs are male and female condoms. Advantages and disadvantages. Cervical caps are coitus dependent and may be appropriate for women who do not want or cannot use hormonal contraception. The latex-free femcap is appropriate for women who have or whose partners have latex allergies. Insertion and removal of cervical, ca cervical caps may be complex for some women. Those women will need additional teaching and counseling to use this contraceptive method consistently and correctly. In a comparative study, more insertion and removal problems were noted with femcap than with the traditional diaphragm. Approximately 10 to 15% of research participants could not be fit with the femcap or were unable to insert or remove it. 
Caps require an initial cost for fitting and purchase, but they should last for approximately two years with proper care. Ongoing costs include the purchase of spermicides. Vaginal sponges. The Today Sponge is a single-use, soft, absorbent polyurethane device that contains approximately 1,000 milligrams of N9 spermicide when moistened. The sponge gradually releases 125 to 150 milligrams of spermicide over 24 hours of use. Its primary contraceptive effectiveness derives from the gradual release of spermicide, but it also provides a physical barrier to the cervix and absorbs semen. The vaginal sponge can be used for multiple episodes of coitus over 24 hours without inserting more spermicide. Efficacy and effectiveness. With typically used, pregnancy rates are somewhat higher among Paris women who use contraceptive sponges than among women who use diaphragms, although rates for nulliparous women are similar. Safety and side effects. Women who use the vaginal sponge tend to discontinue use at higher rates than women who use the diaphragm. More than 40% of women who used both methods stopped using the vaginal sponge in research studies. Allergic type reactions such as dermatitis, erythema, irritation, and vaginal itching were more common with the sponge, although they occurred in only 4% of users. Four cases of toxic shock syndrome among sponge users were reported in 1983. These were associated with recent childbirth, use of the method for more than 24 hours, and or difficult removal with fragmentation of the sponge. Given the number of sponges sold during the time, experts estimated that the risk of toxic shock syndrome was extremely low, approximately 10 cases per year per 100,000 women using sponges. Non-contraceptive benefits. There are no data to suggest that the contraceptive sponge has value in protecting the cervix from infection. The only barrier methods known to reduce STIs are male and female condoms. Advantages and disadvantages. The sponge shares the advantages and disadvantages of other non-hormonal barrier coitus-dependent methods. It does not require a clinician visit or fitting and is available on an over-the-counter basis. Its single-use application may prove more expensive over time than methods that can be reused. Internal condom. The internal condom, previously called the female condom, is a barrier device designed to protect the cervix, vagina, and part of the vulva slash perineum. It was developed as an alternative to male condoms to give women a non-prescription barrier contraceptive method that they could control and that would reduce their exposure to STIs. The internal condom is a sheath made from a nitrile polymer which is soft and smooth and quickly warms to body temperature. A small ring at the closed end of the sheath is inserted high in the vagina. A larger ring rests outside the vagina against the vulva and acts as a guide during penetration. This ring also maintains the sheath covering the full length of the vagina and prevents it from bunching up inside the vagina. The sheath is coated with a silicone-based non spermicidal lubricant, and women can use additional lubricant as well. The internal condom should not be used simultaneously with a male condom because this practice increases the risk of breakage. The internal condom should not be used with a diaphragm, cervical cap, or contraceptive vaginal ring because the inner ring of the internal condom fits into the same place by the cervix as these methods. Efficacy and effectiveness. The effectiveness of the internal condom in preventing pregnancy is in the same range as that of other barrier methods. 
safety and side effects. The internal condom is made of synthetic rubber called nitrile, so it does not prevent, present problems for people with latex allergies. Non-contraceptive benefits. The internal condom can protect against some STIs. Advantages and disadvantages. The internal condom is a non-hormonal female-controlled method that is available as an over-the-counter product. The results of a randomized crossover trial suggested that most users prefer the male condom to the internal condom. The population in this study, however, may not be representative of women who desire female-controlled barrier methods and protection from STIs. Some women find the internal condom difficult to insert, although this problem decreases with proper education. Although it is a female-controlled method, male partner cooperation may still be necessary for consistent use. The partner's lack of acceptance is also cited as a reason for discontinuation. Internal condoms can be used only once and are more expensive than male condoms, so this method can be costly over time. This is the end of the third section of chapter 13 and also the end of the chapter.